Welcome to the Girls Gang podcast, where we don't take bags that don't belong to us, especially if they're red and have bunnies on them. (laughs) We are in June, and that means one thing only, it's J-Horror Month. Way! (laughs) And joining me to discuss today's film is none other than the legendary Melissa Cox. Melissa, first time on the podcast, I think. Welcome. Thank you. Yes, first time indeed. I'm very happy to be here and talk about (laughs) one of my favourite J-horror films. And just thank you so much for this pick because I'd never seen this film before. So, and it was absolutely sensational. Um, I think I did multiple watches and I was just like, I need to watch more J-horror. Like, it reminded me that, like, I mean, there's so much about it, isn't there, to keep track of and to watch. But I was just like, I really need to watch more J-horror. So thank you for that. Yeah, no, I'm glad, <laughs> glad you liked it. So, yeah, there's a lot. It's only like an hour and 40 long, but it's just there's so much in it that, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I've watched it oh, like, yeah, a bunch of times and there's always something else that comes up out of it. It's great. Yeah. So um, before we kick off then, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. I know you're one of our lovely ghouls contributors, but what else are you up to out there? Uh, Yeah, so like I said, I write for ghouls. I also do some writing for uh, Moving Pictures Film Club as well, which I know you do too with your Hitchcock women. Um, And I do sort of a little bit on the side do my own blog on short horror fiction called uh, Short and Sour, which is, uh, you can see a link in my Twitter, which is a little bit sporadic, but just for fun. And it's mainly sort of my my recommendations of like all the uh, sort of short horror films I just find on YouTube um, and enjoy for, for when you don't have an hour and a half to watch a film. Just watch something that's two minutes long. That's right. I totally forgot that you are basically the queen of, of horror shorts and you do all that digging so we don't have to which is great and then you bring up these recommendations what was that one that you you recommended that I'd message you about and it was like someone in a phone box oh that was actually I can't take real credit for that because that was actually recommended I found that a recommendation on Twitter by I think um Joe Trevor Henson who does lots of cryptid art um yeah uh, slimy swamp goes he did a little a few recommendations and that was only I think last year I watched it it's called La Cabina and I did a piece on that for moving pictures. Um, and it's like, I watched, I was like, oh, this is one of the best things I've ever seen in my life. Um, yeah, I won't, I, I would urge anyone to go and watch it. It's free to watch on YouTube. Um, the the original broadcasters uploaded it. So it's like a legit good quality um, YouTube version. It's only about half an hour long and it's, oh, it's like, it's terrifying, but not, it's not what you it starts off and you're just like, what is this? And then you, it goes places you don't expect. It's, oh, it's incredible. And then you can just watch it all over again in less than an hour. <laughs> so we've kept it under wraps long enough now. So can you share with everyone what the pick is today and give us a little synopsis for anyone who hasn't seen it or just needs a little refresher? Uh, yes. So uh, the film that we were discussing is uh, Dark Water from 2002 um, and yeah a very quick sort of non-spoiler start off with synopsis is um, it follows a woman called Yoshimi who has a six-year-old daughter uh, Ikuko and they've just moved into a new apartment this is following um, 
Ikuko's parents, they've just been uh, divorced. So Shimi's just in the middle of divorcing her husband, um, which is, a, you know, we're seen to be quite an acrimonious process. Um, so they've just found an apartment. It's clear they don't have a huge amount of money um, to find somewhere and have to uh, rent one, which is, it's pretty run down. It looks like it's got some sort of a few structural problems. Um, but they move in, they're fairly happy, but there are, as well as some kind of issues with some water that starts coming down from the ceiling. Um, this seems to be more than just a sort of simple plumbing issue. It's also linked to um, an apparent haunting that's going on upstairs. Footsteps being heard, Kuko starts to see things at kindergarten and in the apartment. Um, certain objects start turning up um, again and again and again. Um, and then it sort of all comes together, but it's uh, it's linked much more by lots of different themes, links to the past um, and all that. There you go, that's a very brief uh, yeah. sort of Excellent. And no spoilers. No spoilers. <laughs> there will be. There will be. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, what's your relationship like with J Horror then? So, I've I'm a little bit ashamed. I haven't probably watched as much as I should have done, and I'm loving this month because I'm getting all the recommendations of things that I should have watched. Um, it sort of like probably like a lot of people, especially around my age, when uh, the Japanese. Uh, film ring came out and it was really like you know that was the start of kind of the big you know j-horror being big in the states and in the uk and it was it had so much hype um it was you know like a bit word of mouth i seem to remember everyone's like have you yeah. seen this this is so scary you know even the cover i think where you can just see her eye with like mostly the white of her eyes still really scary um <laughs> and it was a bit of a like oh my god have you seen this you need to see this i think i watched it on my own on dvd Ooh. oh not, not on vhs um, dvd not on vhs so it was just <laughs> modern enough i think it was like 2004 so we were just in the realms of uh dvd um i did mention this on the i mentioned this on the clubhouse the other day i on the dvd i watched it had one of the extras was just the footage from like the vhs and it was called do not watch this <laughs> Oh, when did you, what did you do? Did you leave it? I watched like half a second and then I thought better of it and I stopped it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not doing that. Like, no, don't, just in case, um, I'm not doing that. Yeah, I feel like there's almost certainly some people out there who, by coincidence, have watched The Ring and then had their phone go. Um, <laughs> either like just when the character's watching that thing or after the film. And I feel very sorry for those people. <laughs> it's terrifying. Um, yeah, but from there, I suppose I've watched a few of the sort of big ones, like, you know, the Juon, um, the main one, The Grudge, uh, One Miss Call, and uh, yeah, those are the sort of, I've watched the sort of like big hitters, I suppose, but I, yeah. I feel like I'm, I'm spurred on to do more of a deep dive by everyone's great recommendations this month. Yeah, same. So I think we're in the same boat, really. Um, like I said before, watching this really reminds of me, you know, just how great it is to enter into this other world and just to have horror brought to you through a different perspective and a different culture mm. which is is great um I once saw a double bill of Ring and Houseo and like a like an independent cinema in my home city which was really cool maybe just about like 50 seats yeah so that was a good memory 
<laughs> I've not watched House yet. That's on my list. And I know it's supposed to be brilliant. I really need it's to brilliant it. and bonkers. So <laughs> that sounds great. <laughs> um, so then, so let's get into our mm. discussion of Dark Water. So um, thinking about the opening then. And what, what an opening it is, I mean, in mm. terms of, like, just setting out the film's themes and really drawing you in, you know, you've got this sort of, the more sort of obvious, like, rain and water element mm. going on, and then, you know, themes of, like, innocence, abandonment, mm. um, past memories, taking us to the present, and it's really, like, the use of colour in this film, I love, it's a very, like, it's very... Dr- no matter what colour that's being used, it always feels like just drained. Like mm. it's either like this blue, grey, or like a sort of faded yellow. And none of it's like really pleasant or warm. It's like it feels like a really cold looking film. Um, you know, so I wanted to ask you what your thoughts about the opening and how it sets the tone for the film. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the very, very opening scene is like you know it's completely abstract we just see this like I mean literally you see some dark water it's really murky there's kind of it looks like there's stuff floating in it but it's really not clear what it is there is a light shining from somewhere which is kind of you know lighting up all the stuff within the water and there's some really disjointed kind of sounds like going on which really I think that sets the tone of yeah you know, the sound just, design in this is incredible mm, it does yeah, a lot really to put you on edge yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly yeah the opening it really does make you feel like there's some things just feels like something's very wrong like you said it's really, <laughs> it's really eerie it's really strange and then once we like I said once we get into the opening scenes yeah obviously the rain is such a constant presence in this film and it said along with the colors being drained it's like you do even from the beginning you feel the real downpour that they managed to have it's it does feel like it drains it's draining the energy from the scene yeah. as well because it's you know how you feel when it's really really rainy outside it just makes everything that little bit harder to do and you feel that from mm. the characters who are sort of looking out the rain it's like and a lot of this film I think is about being kind of worn down in a way I feel like uh, Yoshimi the main character has you know she's doing you know her very best but at the time she yeah. just it's like she's reaching a point where she's just she's being worn down by these sort of like constant pressures on her um you know and that's that's really reflected I think in this this like relentless rain it's just kind of you know which can physically wear things down even you know it can that's the thing one that it uses water I'll go into this later I'm sure but yeah. in so many different ways of like the different ways in which water affects us as part of us and everything and I think it's so beautifully set up in that that first opening with you know the rain and everyone with their umbrellas trying to protect Mm. themselves from the water and the rain um yeah it's really kind of totally sets the tone for it and sets you up for what's to come yeah and it it doesn't tell you too much either I like that that it's still quite mysterious and when when I sort of went back and rewatched it, I was like, that's when I could really pick it apart and go, ah, oh, like this is telling me this, and it's this is a sort of, uh, this is like telegraphing what's to come. Um, but I love that point about, um, you know, rain is like an erosion element, mm. and like Yoshimi like being worn down like throughout this mm. film. It's a that's that's a really great point, and. Um, so I wanted to talk about um, 
one of the main themes that I see in this film, which is, well, first of all, the sort of the family situation. So, mm-hmm. like, as you've said, like, Yoshimi's battling to keep her daughter a cuckoo, um, the father who's doesn't seem to really be in the picture, shall we say, um, mm-hmm. but seems intent on gaining custody and sabotaging Yoshimi in whatever mm-hmm. way he can. Um, which really like early on helps to align us with Yoshimi because I'm just like from from the start I'm just on this woman's side and I'm like rooting Absolutely, for her. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, um she's like questioned by um I'm imagining they these are lawyers or um or solicitors. Yeah, I think it seems to be um I think it is like her, it sounds like her husband's lawyer or maybe mediators, I think at some point. I don't know exactly how you know divorce in Japan in the early 2000s would work but it seems to you know someone asks her later they're like oh you're still in mediation so I think that's the that's the point they're at but they don't seem I don't know if they're these two people like I said the start are meant to be neutral or if they're officially kind of the husband's own lawyers but they're definitely kind of hostile but in a very polite way yeah yeah it reminded me of the scene in the Babadook when Amelia gets her sort of first visit from the welfare officers, mm. which is it's such an uncomfortable place to 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 begin with to be in this position of like assumed incompetency as a parent is yep. is just horrifying, mm. and I think you really get a sense of her loneliness here. You know, she's she's just mm-hmm. so isolated, and the questions are so probing, and you know they're not questions about the present day they're questions about things that happened like 10 years ago and she's being put yeah. into the spotlight for this mm. you know when I guess at this point my the way I'm reading it is that she's she's been the main caregiver mm-hmm. uh, but now she's being placed under question um absolutely and- yeah oh yeah just there's there was one particular bit I I sort of really picked up on which was you know like you said she definitely seems to be the main caregiver to their daughter and she even says she's like you know he doesn't remember her birthday he's never here and then I think the the two lawyers seem to go well maybe you didn't notice like what he was doing and it seems to be like a very clear-cut thing of like he's just not around and they're like oh sure like you know bet he was but you just didn't weren't paying attention essentially and it's very kind of it's very undercutting and undermining and at the same time like I said they're bringing up essentially like trying to assassinate her character and she's trying to show it on look here are the actions that I have done as a parent and here are the non-actions that he has done and they're they're bringing up you know like oh you would you used to sleepwalk as a child and things like that it's very very undermining yeah and we never see we never see him interrogated so we only mm. get her interrogation and I think what's interesting as well about that that I've got that note as well about them sort of saying, you know, you may not have noticed. It's like on the one hand, it's like gaslighting. And on the other hand, I think it sort of sets Yoshimi up as a potentially unreliable narrator, like potentially, which just mm. is like interesting. It's a possibility. Um, yeah, there was something, I mean, this is sort of, um, I was like, this almost isn't related to anything. It was just a really interesting <laughs> that I hadn't remembered before for the film. I think they mentioned that at some point she had psychiatric treatment and yeah. she was talking about why that was. And I think it just, I think this doesn't necessarily like 
lead into many of the themes or the sort of narrative but I just thought it's a kind of maybe just an interesting like thing that yeah. makes it a bit more of an eerie point that she brings up that that was because of the sort of stress she felt and um from she worked as a proofreader at a publishing house and she said she was reading these like really graphic you know sadistic disturbing books and that disturbed her so much that she you know she had to seek treatment at some point which was just a kind of an interesting I guess you know it's the people in in that uh that room at the time the characters are probably you know looking at that as a sort of quote-unquote proof of you know why she shouldn't have custody um but yeah. I think in in the film itself it just it just adds a bit of a kind of extra sort of yeah. slightly ominous note that it there's does. you know somewhere out there there's these books that are that that awful <laughs> that they really they're really that disturbing yeah know. yeah as a as an as editor myself sometimes the ghouls content like the extreme stuff <laughs> can be a bit like am I gonna get affected by this I might have to watch you know like a hammer horror film just to neutralize everything <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, nice a nice gentle old school vamp. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It also that that touch made me think about Sensor as well. I don't know if you saw Sensor. I haven't seen it yet. Again, it's been okay. a since I think it. I, yeah, uh-huh. I was waiting for streaming, and then I don't, it's, I've just been working streaming to watch this. <laughs> okay, yeah. Well, I won't. I won't spoil anything because it is fairly new as well. But mm. that is about someone who's like looking at you know material and being affected by it. So mm-hmm. I thought that was really interesting. Um, so we see Yashimi and her husband together, but it seems like to such a, and they're, they're quite close in proximity in the sort of waiting area, but yet yeah, I really got this sense of a vast gap between them. And I was just thinking, I couldn't even picture what their relationship was ever like, <laughs> because yeah, they're just so... I- far apart from yeah, each other it's similar there was there was a point at which I was like yeah it really doesn't seem like these two would ever have been married you know it, but I think you know that's the case a lot of time where people you know people change the circumstances but yeah they seem very very far apart like and it does I think right from the get-go you feel like reconciliation is not you know it's not really an option especially with you know like you said his actions and trying to kind of sabotage her yeah, and then speaking of family, there's a moment where uh, later on in the film where Yoshimi and uh, Ekuku see like an ideal, well, ideal in quotation marks, a perceived ideal family and mm-hmm. in the street and they both seem to like covet that. Mm. And it's like, it's like that's something that they wish that they had or that they, <clears throat> excuse me, or that they they yearn yeah. for, and then I love that the that that is then like met with this feeling of actually I think um, Yoshimi says, as long as I've got you, I'm happy. Yeah, that's uh, I think yeah Yoshimi says that. Also, there's something that um, I don't know if it's after that bit. I think it's after um after maybe the father goes and picks uh, Ikuko up from kindergarten, she actually, she turns to her mother and says, you know what, you're, I'm okay if it's just you and me. Like, I'm yeah. happy. It's I so like, touching. Yeah. That's it's it's such so a sweet, sweet moment, yeah. isn't it? It's really sweet moment. She says, like, I'm okay. Like, I'm okay with it just being us. And that's obviously, you know, that's what, you know, exactly what Yushimi 
needs to hear at that point is that like her daughter is is happy with you know that she's not letting her down or anything like that yeah and then we've got the sort of like as you've already alluded to like the notion of the single parent juggling all these things you know multiple balls in the air like trying to find a job trying to get uh, somewhere to live um and then I think one of the hardest things to watch in this film is how Yoshimi is treated by men you know mostly by men um you know she's questioned by the lawyers she's accused of like dislocating her daughter's arm picking her up late you know um she reports when so when they buy their apartment or rent their apartment she reports the leak to the attendant who is I don't want that guy as my attendant in my building no (laughs) no (laughs) because he's absolutely useless yeah I think um, when they first see it they're like oh it's great like the apartment manager lives on site so it'll be great it's like yeah it's this guy so no help at all oh I'll log it in the book water's gushing down from the ceiling oh fine I'll put it in the book but yeah I'll put it in the book yeah put it in the Um, book it's all right you know she's totally ignored but later when her lawyer sort of makes those requests Mm -hmm. something happens so it's like when a man gets involved something gets done and it's that just that just hit me you know you know you know you know in a way yeah Uh, I definitely I noted down that same bit where it was you know her her lawyer who seems you know is is on her side I guess was uh paid to be again he he just straight away can get both uh, you know it seems like the I guess the estate agent the guy who showed them around in the first place and the apartment manager and hold them to account and which, you know, which Yoshimi was just on the phone saying like, oh, there's literally water pouring out the ceiling. Can you do something? And they're like, ah, no. <laughs> so, yeah, I could. I mean, it's it's my opinion, just from the front, that everything in this film is essentially the fault of poor building management and landlords. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, we were talking about that. We'll, we'll get to the haunting, but ultimately... Yeah. It was neglectful maintenance. <laughs> it, was the, it was neglectful maintenance. maintenance. That's the, the there, are, <laughs> there are obviously deeper themes, but it's a <laughs> it's a definite indictment of <laughs> of all these things. Um, you know, also she's repeatedly Yoshimi's repeatedly told to calm down. Like mm-hmm. I really like picked up on that the, particularly the second time. You know, she's deemed an unfit mother, and you know when she has a, a a breakdown moment it's mm-hmm. pull yourself together and people are always telling her how to react you know yeah which I found quite triggering you know and it's yeah. like it makes me think of the trope of like the hysterical woman and it's like actually sometimes it, it like we should be allowed to be in our feelings because the situation that she's in is is a really yeah. stressful <laughs> yeah it's like so this it absolutely it, you know the situation can justify a strong reaction and that's totally fine I think even one of the things I did notice as well is that like I said being I think it's her own lawyer who I think uses the phrase that you know you've got to pull yourself together yeah. you know do this and in a way that's coming from a very pragmatic standpoint you know which is if you want to make sure you get custody this is you know someone unfortunately the way in which you have to present yourself but I think the result of that which we see later on is that 
even you know because it's coming from a sort of sometimes from hostile people being like calm down and also from you know supposedly sort of well-meaning people saying look you know you've got to pull yourself together and do all this it's it becomes really internalized for her which yeah. I think is something very common and then later on I think she she even says uh you know I've got I've got to be stronger she's like I know I've got to be stronger I've got to do this and that's not when uh I can't remember if it's just her and her daughter who are there but it's not when any of the lawyers are around or anything it's she's she's really taken that to heart into herself that she's not a strong person whereas you know we see throughout the film really how strong she is that she's she is getting on with her life yeah you know, she gets herself a job she's managing her daughter and I think one of the you know some of the moments when we see her at her most sort of confident and strong are when it's just her and Ikuko at home and yeah she's very, you know there's some really lovely moments between the two of them or like when they're playing in the elevator and pretending that she's like a uh, oh like going like an up, elevator going operator down, yeah. or whatever they call them, you know <laughs> so are you going up the top floor or just like you know being silly and running around or you know telling her to brush her teeth and just stuff like that it's like she's she's got really comp- she's very confident as a mother and that's something that it feels like is being then undermined by all this you know the feelings then that she's she's not strong and it's there's no one really reminding her that she is yeah definitely I love that that notion that actually she's stronger than what she believes she is because we we can all go through things in life and think oh gosh like but actually the things that we go through demonstrate that you know we are stronger than what we think um and the lawyer is an interesting character Yoshimi's lawyer I don't know how I feel about him Mm. you know on one level it's like sit down have a coffee in my office and it feels a bit I don't know, approaching a, a, a yeah. sort of a different like, kind of relationship. But then there's other times where you, when she ex- is explaining what happens with the water tank sort of later on, mm-hmm. where he sort of mansplains to her and goes, oh, it's just the light or it's the highway, you know? Yeah. And he dismisses like her truth. Mm-hmm. So he's complicated, isn't he? He is complicated. I think, yeah, it's one of those things where I think he seems like one of those people that thinks he's helping by saying yeah. that because he's like, you know, and in a way you're like, yeah, fair enough. He doesn't totally dismiss her. He's like, you know what? If I was up here on this roof in the dark and I saw these shadows going around, he's like, anyone would be scared. That's totally normal. But also he's just like, well, what you say you saw, like, definitely isn't that. Um, so, yeah, he is a bit sort of complex and he is definitely doing like practical things for a good but yeah. also it is kind of her job. I also found it really funny when he uh, <laughs> just didn't know how to make a cup of coffee. He's just like, oh, my secretary's not here. Uh, so the coffee's going to be really bad. And like, oh, I didn't, I forgot milk and sugar. It's like, oh God. Okay. Yeah, it's a very telling remark, isn't it? <laughs> it's Yeah, it's like, I don't, ooh, what's coffee? How would I know? I'm a lighter man. <laughs> so that was, that was just sort of, was quite funny. But, but yeah, he's, he's an interesting one. And it's not, he just sort of, he does like drift into the narrative and then sort of quite quickly out again as just a kind of yeah yeah slightly kind of surface but um yeah there was one other like talking about the just bring up the family stuff again it was like we only see her really briefly but I thought um Yoshimi's aunt's a really interesting character yeah. um because she does she's literally only for one scene when she comes and babysits for a night but I found it really interesting she she actually um you know, compliments Yoshimi on being a good mother. Like she mentions mm-hmm. that. 
Um, and but then she also mentions she says like you know basically like not like your mother yeah um who's like the aunt she's like my sister was you know was pretty bad we never really get to know much more about yoshimi's mother but there's definitely a sense that that's something that yoshimi's really afraid of is becoming her mother because oh yeah i think from absolutely. the flashbacks you know we see that she was left late at kindergarten and she's terrified of accidentally you know coming to to do the same thing to her daughter um and so i think that's that's something that you know the aunt is giving her a compliment but i think that that just you can always see it in yushimi's face that it it brings up that fear again she's like yeah my mother was not a good mother and i'm terrified of becoming the same so it's it's an interesting little very subtle exchange but yeah gives a lot of character in terms of talking about family then, I just want to touch on like childhood and representations of childhood and like childhood memory and traumas. Mm-hmm. A little scene that I find really interesting is um, when Yoshimi is going to register a daughter at the school and she meets with the headmaster um, <laughs> who tells her like, oh, we've got the, the children's desires and a heart and then you see this little boy come in and just be absolutely torn apart like incredible acting like I my heart was breaking for this poor little boy but um there seems to be a slight like there's a moment where Yoshimi and the boy look at each other and there's like a slight connection or something happening there um and I wondered if that sort of made Yoshimi think about how she felt when she was young what, what what are your thoughts on like that moment? Oh, you're very low. Sorry. Oh, I'll put that back on. Audio going. Um, yeah, it feels like that was definitely like a formative time of her life, and we see that from the flashbacks. Um, and so I think that's, you know, it's definitely on her mind and with her daughter being the same age, it's really bringing back those memories. Yeah, I don't, I definitely agree. You can see a bit of a, a sympathy there for, I think, the fact that Yoshimi's feeling very nervous too. I think you can tell by how she's acting with, you know, with the kindergarten manager. And so, yeah, it's a very, it's a very uncomfortable moment as well. <laughs> Just, you know, said said all this stuff about how all the, the you know the kids are happy and they're they're really getting in his face as well like you know yeah um it's like yeah it sounds like he you know he made some unpleasant comments but they're really they're really going to town on him uh, you know and then going like what are you crying for it's like this is a this may be a little an education a moment you know a, a, what do you call, like a learning moment rather than a moment to be berated cruel perhaps. yeah mm-hmm. and I, if that was my child's that I just enlisted at school, I'd be thinking, hmm, maybe I should uh, look elsewhere. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a funny one. They also have, I mean, the they do have, you know, later they discuss as we'll get on to the you know the little girl who's gone missing, um, and he's a little bit again a bit matter of fact about that, which I think yeah. is, you know, um, yeah, Mitsuko who goes missing and he's like, oh, I think she was taken by some perverted person but I think that's what happens you're like oh that's you know yeah he compartmentalizes it doesn't he it's like yeah very much so I think um so I wanted to touch as well on the environment because 
that was something that I really enjoyed in the film you know I feel like the building that they move into is such a a character in this film you know it's like you said at about the start something bad is gonna happen like there's just this feeling about this building that there's just something bad about it it's like you know when they're walking towards it it's sort of shot so it like it feels I mean, it, 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 is, it, it is a tower block, but it feels like it reaches just beyond. So it's got this sort of menace to it. And like, mm. it made me think of uh, Rosemary's Baby and like the Bramford yeah. and them sort of walking into there. It just seeing like it eats them up, like the building just mm-hmm. it consumes them. Um, I also felt, I also saw echoes of the shining in the film you know with like the lifts yeah. and the empty corridors and those two women who were like dressed the same like <laughs> yes I didn't that's an interesting comparison yeah there's definitely I mean there's uh again I don't know how far we're going to spoil it but there's one shot that's like you can very directly uh, yeah. compared to a shot in the shining which is very famous yeah I didn't got that I just one thing I really noticed about the building like I said is I think apart from those two women with the dog that we see near the beginning um I think just before they move in when they're just looking around we never see anybody else in the building and it's not um you know it's not unheard of sometimes you don't you know especially in an apartment block it's like you'll only necessarily see people coming and going but to see absolutely like no one it feels so deserted um there's it seems to get fewer and fewer people and then by the end of the film even the apartment manager seems it's never there it's literally just uh, Yoshimi and Ikuko and whoever is upstairs on the fourth floor um <laughs> there's yeah it's so it feels very desolate like you said it, it feels like it's already been abandoned before it's abandoned yeah um, there's something like prison like about it I think it's like and also it's quite disorientating isn't it and I think the the um the security guy does say at one point when like Ishimi's asking like what floor is that he says oh it's hard to tell because they're all the same so like there's this feeling of like just everything looks similar so it's like Mm. where are you ever because I just like the whole geography of it is you can't quite tell yeah so it's interesting I actually just on a personal I live in uh, a block of flats at the moment which has obviously very similar floors but you can sort of if you accidentally press the wrong button and get out the wrong floor it's a slightly weird uncanny feeling because it looks exactly like your floor but you can tell exact like straight away you're like this isn't my floor but it's like uncanny it like, oh it's really uncanny because like it, it, it's, like, it isn't it's like yeah it's like it's exactly the same but not quite the same which really you know <laughs> and it's the same for this one because you have the you know the third floor where they live and then the fourth floor which is again almost exactly the same except for you know there's this you know some sort of water seeping out from it and some strange things going on and yeah the lack of character because there are no people seemingly in the building there's no character to it it's all just very empty and yeah the only the only character the building has is this you know, well, seeing this kind of like grief-stricken spirit, which seems to inhabit it and just takes it over, really. So that allows me to segue into the next topic, <laughs> uh, 
Thank you, Melissa. So this is dark water. So I guess it would be remiss if we did not talk about water. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot to talk about water. Yeah, and I don't I don't want to trigger you or anything because I know you've got your own problems at the minute <laughs> that have coincided with this podcast, which yeah. is uh, quite bizarre. Um, yeah. But um, yeah, water then. Like, what are your theories on what water represents within this film like and particularly I'm thinking about like within the building yeah I'm just uh, just for context <laughs> the, the, <laughs> my own my own troubles I'm having is that in our flats there's the flat below us has got a mysterious damp patch on the ceiling much like for <laughs> Yoshimi and no one knows where it's coming from don't think it's coming from our flat but nobody knows so it's like a dark water moment in real life oh no hopefully I know I like messaged you before didn't I and I was like reality is reflecting art <laughs> yes <laughs> like oh no but yeah away from my own ways um the yeah the water is just like I said it's everywhere in the film in so many different contexts and ways like we talked about the sort of the oppressive rain which feels like it's you know like I said sucking energy out and has a kind of eroding nature as well and wearing down um which I think yeah, is a, is a very much a theme for Yoshimi, who's just being worn down by her circumstances. Um, especially when it gets towards the later bits of the film, I was just saying down that the water just it seems to reflect, you know, constantly the character's emotions through the film, both Yoshimi and again towards the end. Um, I guess we're doing spoilers now. It's uh, yeah, Mitsuko, who is, uh, you know, the little girl who went missing two years previously. And then we find out at the end that she actually um, accidentally drowned in the water tank on the roof. Um, and her spirit basically is becoming more and more felt throughout the film. We get, you know, the the dripping of the water, like I said, is like a kind of, it's a constant from like the lifts, you know, eventually damaging the mechanisms, like damaging the flats. And you said the constant, you know, it, it feels like it really affects this sort of, constant wave of trying to be noticed I think Mitsuko like the fact yes. at the end we say like this water could have been running in the flat for you know months and months and no one has noticed it and Yoshimi's the first one to notice her and towards like right towards the end we see like the bathtub full of like really dank water which is like churning you know which is just reflecting this kind of outpouring of grief and anger and the sort of tumultuous emotions that Mitsuko is now expressing and is really coming to the fore um yeah there's so many more as well yeah yeah it's like that that when I'm glad you brought up the bath moment because I think it's it's really eerie the way that they juxtapose you can juxtapose that moment with there's an alien moment isn't there where Yoshibi and a cuckoo uh, like a bathing Mm. and you have like the innocent bath time where she's like playing with toys and so like to have that cut against the sort of later the the really horrific bath time incident I think is really is really interesting but I wonder about if the water the water seems to sort of in the apartment it seems to be getting like as the film goes on larger patches and just Mm. more consuming and I wonder if it's like the water is the way that uh, Mitsuku tr- is trying to connect with Yoshimi, she's this is mm. like trying to make her presence known through the water, 
like I was speaking to a, a another ghoul about mm-hmm. this and they said that like in Japanese folklore water is like a, a barrier between the physical and the spiritual world yeah so I think that's interesting that's really interesting there's another moment which again it was just a slightly different way that water was portrayed in the film when um Ikuko is at kindergarten and they're playing hide and seek and it's one of the you know the bits where we actually see a ghost essentially and she's hiding and we just see from her point of view from where she's hiding under a table and some you know some feet walking towards her um with you know which are you know obviously soaked and leaving like damp patches and then we see water kind of like coming out from um it's uh, Mitsuko's feet towards her and it feels both like you said a kind of it feels like a way of trying to connect maybe with like the physical world and also you know it felt just the way it seemed to be draining away from her because obviously like water is part of our literally part of our lifebloods and it felt a little bit like Uh you know this is it sort of it looks like or it felt like it's sort of draining out of her and Mm. um yeah just another way of this water just seems to connect everything in the film and everyone's emotions that's such a great show also, yeah. I love yeah. that and uh yeah the aunt also says we after <laughs> yeah. she's gone I think it's mentioned Ikuko says oh she bought her own water for cooking she said the water in the apartment's no good um and we do see a classic I think j-horror trope of there's hair in the water which is obviously oh like a, gosh it always such me. an unpleasant yeah. image of like <laughs> pouring a glass of water there's just a clump of hair comes out and it's like oh, yeah. so in yeah. terms of like the ghost of Mitsuko and Yoshimi and their connection which I think is a really interesting thing to explore I one I wanted to know sort of what you thought about about that like do you like the, I had a couple of thoughts I thought no, is she over identifying with her because of her experience of Yoshimi's experience as a child? So is there some sort of childhood trauma connection? Or is it more of like a projection about potentially losing Ikuku because this custody battle is going on? It's really interesting. Yeah, they're both, I think, I think there's both and probably more interpretations. There's definitely that connection between um Yoshimi herself and Mitsuku as as like you said slightly I mean we don't know too much about Mitsuko's childhood but this mm. thing that ultimately she's without parents because she's you know she's alone now um and the, I think she identifies there and yet there's I think like, like I was saying earlier about the the sort of sound internalization of Yoshimi's own insecurities or like the insecurities that other people have very much put on her that as much as she tries I think there's it feels like there's a deep fear in her that she's actually not the you know she might not be the best person to look after a cuckoo even though Mm. we see from her actions that and their connection to us the audience I think it feels like she definitely is and even like the lawyer says like you know she needs you and you need her Mm -hmm. I think it feels like there's this like deep underlying feeling in Yujimi that she can't look after her daughter properly and like that you know there's that the scene at the end where she's telling her to stop and not come any closer when um she's there in the in the lift with Mitsuko is really heartbreaking but it feels like she you know she in a way however wrongly feels like she has to let her daughter go which is you know 
and I think that's part of you know or she feels like there's another there's some kind of chance that she could you know look after this spirit who has sort of been who is alone and has been abandoned you know ultimately but yeah it's very it's a, yeah there's just like a very deep sadness throughout it's, this it's sad stuff isn't very it yeah. yeah um yeah. so you touched on it before like this idea of like like cycles of repetition and it's definitely something I noticed about Yashimi repeating some of her own mother's actions and mm. like just this idea that we would become the thing that we fear the most mm. is is really it gives me goosebumps <laughs> uh, <laughs> But also there's other sort of cycles that happen, you know, within the film. You know, we see um, this red bag coming up mm. time and time again. Has a red bag ever been so scary? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, it's and such a cute little red bag. But it re- it's yeah, it's really effective. I think what you said before about um, right at the beginning about all the muted colours in the film. The red bag oh. makes really stands out as a yeah, bright so scarlet true. bag. And when it appears, it's just like, oh, it's like there it is, just like bang, it's here again, it's moved, it's gone from I, I lost count, I think, of the places that it turned up. It sort of goes from like the roof to the lost property to the bin to the roof <laughs> to the bin to you know, Ikuko's bag back to somewhere else, and then eventually it's just there. Yeah, it's it it's a real like call and car for like just oh it's like something's like just this this bag won't go away it's like and like you say it's so cute as well but it's like (laughs) but yeah I think like you said before about uh Mitsuko trying to get attention someone just trying to get someone to notice her yeah and using the water obviously the bag is is obviously very much part of that I think it seems to be like a trigger for the haunting that these two have moved in who are kind of you know a kind of I guess a parallel between Mitsuko and her own mother and she's so she's like latched onto or there's already a kind of there's that connection there that she seems to be able to reach them because they're either like both receptive to her which it feels like the other people in the building would just you know are neglectful and willfully ignorant about anything that's going on (laughs) in the building um and it's like here are some people who are receptive and she's these all these ways that she's sort of reaching out but yeah it's a it's a very effective device as well for the, the scares it's all how yeah how sinister can a little bag be <laughs> also i noticed that the the mission poster of Masuku describes her as being like five years old and mm-hmm. earlier in the film we hear that um yashimi's daughter is almost six so she's five as well so there's that sort of twinning thing going on there which is yeah. interesting yeah that's yeah there's definitely like yeah it seems like it's the circumstances have aligned and it's you know and it's even like again right at the end there's a very kind of uncanny bit where yeah. you see Yoshimi picks up who we see on screen as uh Ikuko her daughter carry her to the lift and then we see the you know there's a classic horror film moment of like the the door swinging open and you just see a hand reaching out but then it cuts back and we see that that's actually oh. Ikuko 
I was like, like, did I, did I see that? I had to sort of rewind and go, what did I see? Because it makes you question, doesn't it? Yeah, when you see it, but then they have, oh, there's a very long, I think it's like three shots just after that that are really long where you just see Yoshimi's face of her realising that the girl she's holding isn't her daughter. And there's like, it takes so long for her to like actually look down at the like the girl she's holding and it's it's one of the the most tense moments in the film it's very scary but also there's a yeah there's a little bit just before that I think which almost sets up the whole end which again I only noticed on this rewatch where after she's picked up who she thinks is her own daughter she sort of holds her and says I'll never leave you alone again um you know I promise I won't do that which you know obviously is it's an impossible promise from a parent to a child because at some point you know in a healthy relationship at some point you have to leave them alone either just naturally for a bit or you know let them live their own life um, as they grow older but in that moment it's it becomes completely literal though when you realize that she actually said that to you know the spirit of Mitsuko and she doesn't leave her alone again basically so it's a you know it's a kind of interesting set up for you know the remainder of the events of the film yeah well let's let's get into the end and then since we're sort of we're mm. dancing around it a little bit yeah <laughs> uh so oh, the the switch and the, the switch and the twist i'm gonna call it <laughs> yeah um oh, where um ikuko finds out but you know when ikuko realizes like what is happening and she's screaming like mama like it is truly truly heartbreaking it's like, yeah what a performance and this- oh it's yeah it's an incredible performance why the girl like I'd, I'd have to look up if she's gone on to do any more acting but it's uh yeah it's it's incredible and she yeah she sort of runs after her and is you know yeah it's not like a clipped moment is it it's like a really prolonged yeah. like just the agony of it of this separation mm. and then to be five years old and feel this yeah and be in this maze of a building yeah essentially and, completely alone you know yeah just, and to see no one else there to see your mum embracing this other girl as well mm. that has sort of torment semi-tormented you yeah <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, I I just cross my fingers that Ikuku's gonna, you know, she's gonna turn out okay. Things are gonna be yeah. good for her. Um, yeah. but then they, we sort of do get the almost like an epilogue, don't we? Where it's yes, like, I was gonna say. I don't know if I was like there is. I saw there were like two slightly different length versions, but yeah, we get okay. Yeah, sort of. But I think it might just be little bits in between. So it's like, oh, did they not have the epilogue? Um, yeah, there is a bit of an extended epilogue. We see. I guess 10 years later, it says, so when um, Ikuko is in high school and happens to be back at her kindergarten. Um, and I can't remember exactly what, I only watched it last time, I can't remember exactly what sort of sparks her on. She's just meeting her friends and they're going somewhere. But They're going for an something... ice cream and I think she just goes, yeah. oh, I think she's just, she sees another girl, doesn't she, sort of left That's, alone. Yeah. And it sort of just sparks her to like, yeah oh it just sparks a memory and she goes back to the apartment building yeah which is which is again quite uncannily their own apartment is very untouched after 10 years it seems like no one's moved in there yeah no one's moved any of the furniture out it's it sort of does make you wonder like what's 
in these intervening years. What happened years. in the immediate aftermath of this? Like, yeah. how was this explained away? Because it seems, you know, all we really see is this uh, again. Once, once the lift, the lift doors have closed on when Yashimi and um, Zuko were there. They follow it up, and the the lift doors open again. And in in a very shining moment, the the lift doors <laughs> open, and it's just like torrent of water comes out and like sweeps poor Ikuko away into the uh, far side of the landing. And that's that's kind of the last we see of the main events of the film. But yeah, the epilogue was really interesting. I don't know, what did you what did you make of it? It was very ambiguous. Yeah, I was like, where is it? Where is it going to go here? And I I quite like the fact that. Well, obviously you've got the sort of, you've got Yashimi sort of saying, look, I can't be with you. And I think there's like a family photograph. You don't see who's on the photograph. And I was like itching to see mm. <laughs> who's yeah. on there. Like, I want to know. Um, and I, but, I, but then obviously I feel like Ikuko's then going through the trauma of losing their mother a second time. So it makes yeah. it really hard. But then, mm. you know, her mum sort of in Yoshimi indicates doesn't she that she was doing it all along to protect her daughter so there yeah. is that sort of feeling of a resolution I mean it's it's not a happy ending but it feels nice. like there's a peacefulness to it yeah or there's at least because you know she mentions it Kiko says she's like I just can't I can't remember anything really about this time at all so it's like buried very very deeply and it, it does feel in some ways you know, although it's very sad, it does feel quite cathartic for her that she's yeah. been able to go back. She's been able in some way to see her mother um, and to have that sort of, again, like, a, you know, an emotional moment of release. Yeah. You know, rather than just having it as this sort of completely, you know, blank area of her life. It does feel like there is a resolution at the end of this. Yeah. So... Is there anything else that we haven't covered that you wanted to discuss? I was having a little, I think we've probably talked about almost all of the lovely things of the film. There's nothing much else <laughs> apart from, yeah, just, uh, no, that's all the, again, just to reiterate, it was, it was all, again, as we see right at the end with the, even the fact that Paul Mitsuko is not, is not discovered. We see the sort of close-up on the water tank inspections, which oh, has yes. not happened since 1999. Oh, is this back to the, the maintenance theme again? <laughs> well, again, the uh, the apartment manager is like, that's the cleaning team's problem. <laughs> they should have done that. <laughs> like, well. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? <laughs> yes, everything. I mean, in the first place, again, not to bring up, it's like, how did she, that, the lid of the water tank should not have been open in the first place. This is, horribly unsafe if we're taking it as a purely unmetaphorical thing but (laughs) yes water help water safety building maintenance (laughs) are are key Um, great it's it's good to have your risk assessment and uh... (laughs) (laughs) i'm always here for a risk assessment come around to do my house for me and i'll i will sleep much much sounder now and everything is reviewed up to date I'm sure yeah I'm sure that's all fine I can't imagine trying to yeah risk assessing uh horror film uh, <laughs> like haunted houses would probably be a a, a job Ooh, to do there's a side hustle for you yeah <laughs> very niche 
very niche yeah um so then um if you'd like to just take a moment to share where we can find you on socials so people can follow you see what you're up to and tell us about anything up and coming that you've got going on so yeah the best place to find me probably is on twitter which is i am uh, at chloe oriel which is if i can remember how to say it c-h-l-o-e-o-r-i-e-l um I'm officially on Instagram, but I'm never on Instagram, so don't bother. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's got links to all my stuff. Like I said, links to like schools and moving pictures and to my blog. Um, and, and then coming up, I think next week, there's, well, we're in the middle of a Stephen King season over on moving pictures. Oh, yeah, we just is, might be. Yes, is a, which is one of my big, big areas of horror interest. So I'm doing, um, I think there's going to be a couple of, articles one by me and someone else on doing one on uh sort of communities and Stephen King linking that to a few different a few different places like your Derry's Castle Rocks and Little Tall Islands and how basically everywhere in Stephen King is a bad place to live much like the apartment (laughs) in Darkwater (laughs) well look forward to your risk assessments on those communities (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's great. Yeah. So check out Melissa's blog. Keep a lookout for those moving pictures articles. Yeah, they've got a, a great Stephen King season happening at the moment. I just recorded. Well, actually, no, I didn't just record. <laughs> I just had an episode released with moving pictures looking at misery. So everything Annie Wilkes and team oh. Annie. So, you know, <laughs> deal with it. Um, <laughs> go, go get to your laughing place. <laughs> Um, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Pendle Pumpkin. Things that I'm up to at the moment, I uh, recently released um, a zine called Mums and Sons, which looks at familial relationships in horror. Uh, you can check that out at Plastic Brain Press, and they are on socials at Brain Plastic. So it's just the opposite way around, which is uh, confusing for everyone. <laughs> Um, and also I have a series with moving pictures looking at the women of Hitchcock's films so if you're a Hitchcockian and you fancy a female voice on the films then check that out so thanks very much for listening everyone and thanks for all your support it helps to keep us alive which we appreciate yay Uh, yay Don't forget to check out girlsmagazine.com for plenty of reviews, editorials, and more content like this. In the meantime, next time you run a bath, make sure you check it twice before getting in. (laughs) Uh, Huge thanks to Melissa as well for joining me today. No worries. Thank you for having me. Bye, everyone. Bye.